0: Let us then open our Bibles and return to the passage, the chapter we read, Acts chapter 26. We want to choose one particular verse. It would be verse 28 of Acts chapter 26 and verse 28, where we read, Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And that will be the focus of our meditation tonight, although we will be quoting from some verses before and after. But this is the focus of our meditation. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And the title for our meditation is, again, taken from the text almost persuaded, almost persuaded. In the book of Proverbs, in chapter 22, verse 29, we have this proverb recorded for us. Seest thou a man diligent in his business? He shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mean men. And this is exactly what happened to the Apostle Paul. As far as the world was concerned, the Apostle Paul was a nobody. We know that he was a giant as far as the Christian faith is concerned. But as far as the world was concerned, he was a nobody. But he was on his way to stand before the most powerful man in the known world at that time, Caesar, the great head of the Roman Empire. And therefore, God had fulfilled and was fulfilling a promise that he made to the Apostle Paul. You can remember maybe his conversion, and when Ananias heard of it, Ananias was surprised, and Ananias Questioned the Lord because Ananias was told to go and meet him and baptize him and to receive him. But Ananias had heard so much of him of what he was doing and how he had persecuted the church. And he mentions that in his testimony here, how he was one who sought to destroy Christians and Christianity. But Christ said to Ananias, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Reminding us, friends, in our introduction that God's word will not fall to the ground. When you're asked to put your faith and trust upon God and upon his word, it will never fail. It may Indeed, take a long time to be fulfilled, but according to what God has determined, that word shall be fulfilled. And the Apostle Paul and many other instances could be given to support this, that God's word will never fall to the ground. Paul himself, not long before this, had received another Confirmation that he was on his way to Rome and that he would stand before Caesar. The Lord stood by him and said, be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. And here was Paul, part of that process, before King Agrippa, ultimately on his way before Caesar. Well, there are three things that I wish to draw from this text and from this passage for our edification tonight. And we seek, of course, the Lord's blessing to make these things real and relevant and pertinent unto us. The first thing, then, we have here the pressing of the preacher. The pressing of the preacher. Verse 27, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. First of all, notice what he did not get involved in. Paul was on his way to Caesar. Paul was under threat that he would lose his life. Paul was innocent. And had he sought to defend himself, as the end of the chapter would clearly indicate, he would have been set free. But he chose not to defend himself. His own life was of secondary importance. Here he had an opportunity, a golden opportunity given to him by the providence of God before King Agrippa, before the governor Festus, and before other notable dignitaries and he did not present his own case he was not concerned about his own life to him the ultimate thing in his life was to fulfill the commission that the Lord Jesus Christ had given to him on that road to Damascus and that conversion experience had a profound effect upon him and he never lost sight of the fact that ultimately he is a herald and he's a herald not of his rights not of human rights or anything else. He's a herald primarily of the claims of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he delighted in his office. And he would not in any sense be distracted. He was going to press the claims of Christ upon these individuals. And he was going to use, and he was going to capitalize, and as some of the old commentators would say, he was going to improve the situation. In order that these men, possibly women too, but maybe highly unlikely, but whatever, all there who were gathered for this notable occasion, they would hear about Jesus Christ. And they would hear about the great need to be reconciled to God through him and only through him. He would present the way of salvation, the only way of salvation, the way that God himself had given to mankind. So first of all, let us be clear, he wasn't going to get involved in secondary issues, no matter how good and no matter how upright they might be. It was not for the Apostle Paul. It was the gospel. It was Christ. It was the kingdom of God. These are the things that were uppermost in the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice, friends, he took advantage of a interruption. He was speaking about the scriptures, and then he gave his own personal testimony. Now, we know many people are not very keen on testimonies. Well, we have to be careful with testimonies, but they have a place. And certainly in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul gives his testimony. He outlines that Christ obviously came according to the prophets, according to the scriptures, and he fulfilled the scriptures. And then he gives his own testimony, how he had an encounter with the Lord Jesus, and his life was transformed. He was able to tell this. And then we have this interruption, verse 24. And as he spake for himself... Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. What was happening here? Well, what was happening here is quite clear. Festus was under the gospel. And Festus was conscience stricken. He was under conviction of sin. He was having that gulp in his mouth. He began to realize about eternal things. He began to realize something concerning the claims of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he didn't like it. He knew something, and how much we cannot tell, but he knew something of conviction of sin. And he began to cry out. What did he say? Thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. This was simply a smokescreen. He knew full full well that the Apostle Paul was not mad. And if he was mad, Festus would never send a madman to Caesar. Because if he sent a madman to Caesar, it might well be the end of Festus. It was simply a smokescreen. But we want to notice, friends, here how cleverly the apostle Paul uses this distraction to his advantage. And it reminds us, of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It reminds us of that incident in Luke chapter 15. Verses 1 and 2 of that chapter say, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners, for to heed him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners, and eateth with them. Here were the religious leaders of the day, the holy men, and they were sneering at the Lord Jesus. What were they saying? This man receiveth publicans and sinners. And if you like, the Lord Jesus Christ took that remark of disdain, of reproach that they cast at him and used that Statement as a text in order to preach a wonderful three point sermon, one of which was, of course, the parable of the prodigal son. He turned it to his advantage. And basically, what he said to them is the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth eateth with them. Yes, that's true. You are rebuking me, but it's absolutely true. I do this. This is my very plan and purpose. This is my mission. And you're using it as a rebuke against me. But I'm going to show you how true it is, how completely true it is, that this man, Jesus Christ, receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And these three parables outline the great fact that Jesus Christ indeed does receive sinners, and he does eat with them. This exactly the same thing that happened here. Having had this interruption, Paul then presses the message to King Agrippa. Believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. King Agrippa was obviously one who was familiar with the scriptures. He knew to a certain extent what the Word of God said. Paul had been speaking and discoursing concerning the Word of God, and what Paul said was was consistent with the prophets, with what had been prophesied. And he was basically telling them all there that What I'm telling you about Christ, you can find in the Old Testament scriptures. And he turns then to King Agrippa. I know that you believe. I know that you believe the prophets. I know this. And therefore, he was pressing the claims of Christ upon them. There are many here this evening who in some sense are just like King Agrippa. Believest thou the prophets? You can hold your hands up and you can say, yes, I believe the word of God. I believe it. I can remember my own days of unbelief. If anyone had said to me, do you believe the Bible? I would have said, of course I believe the Bible. But I didn't believe in Jesus Christ. The apostle Paul was going to Believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest them. I know that you believe them. Therefore, why can you not see that the Lord Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of these prophetic scriptures? and he is pressing upon the the King Agrippa to come and to see for himself and to agree with the prophets and to embrace the Lord Jesus. He was pressing upon him to make a decision. Now, be careful, friends, here. We're not talking about decisional regeneration. Far from it. But it is the duty of the preacher to press the claims of Christ upon his hearers and not to be afraid to tell them that they are to embrace him as he is freely offered in the gospel. We have good examples. You can think of the time of Elijah on Mount Carmel. Elijah came unto the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him, but of Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, not a word. It's time, friends, to cast off our unbelief. It's time to be decided. It's time to lay hold of Christ. It's time to take up the cross and follow him. You're not ignorant of these things. These things are not done in a corner. It's time then to embrace him, and the preacher has a, a biblical warrant to press the claims of Christ. Secondly then, have we noticed the pressing of the preacher? We would notice secondly, the limitation of the preacher. What's his reply? King Agrippa replies in verse twenty eight, then Agrippa said unto Paul Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost thou preparest persuadest me to be a Christian. Someone has translated this reply from King Agrippa as this do you think? that in such a short time, with such few words, you, highlighting you, can persuade me to be a Christian. Do you think the Apostle Paul, this insignificant figure, telling about the Son of God who became the Son of Man, and how he suffered and died a horrendous death, how he was despised and rejected, how he was hung upon a cross and made a laughing stock. Do you think that in a short period of time, a short space of time, that you who call yourself a preacher can possibly persuade me to become a Christian? You can just imagine it. I'm King Agrippa. You can't persuade me. Well, the truth is he cannot. He cannot. This is the limitation of the preacher. A preacher has a warrant, a commission to go forth and to proclaim this word. But The preacher cannot convert. It's impossible. There is no doubt that Festus was under the conviction of sin here, and to some extent, we would believe so was King Agrippa, because you can be sure that the claims of Christ would have been fully pressed upon them. What we have here is not a, a full exposition or a full record of the sermon. We mainly have the headings, and the Apostle Paul, being an authentic gospel preacher, would have been telling these individuals, all of them there, that they are to repent and believe the gospel and to receive Christ. And they are to receive Christ because they're sinners and they need to be saved. And because as a natural man, they're under the the wrath of God. And therefore, there's a certain amount of danger in their position. And all of this would have caused them to have conviction of sin. That's all the preacher can do. He cannot convert. He knew his limitation. There will be people here, friends, who tonight or on other occasions, they're in a similar position to King Agrippa and Festus. They're under conviction of sin. They know they're not right with God. They know that if they were ushered into eternity tonight, they would not be in the gracious presence of God. In some sense, the Spirit of God is striving with them or has striven with them. If you fall into that category tonight, it's not a very pleasant place to be. No one likes to be under conviction of sin. But if that be true... It truly is a blessed position to be in. And if you find yourself under conviction of sin, then you are to improve that situation. How can you possibly improve it? You are to go to God, and you're to cry out to God that he might reveal Christ unto you. That you would get no rest until you find Christ as your Lord and Savior, until you close in with Christ. Because the preacher can only do so much. He can only preach the gospel. He can set forth Christ. He can urge people to come. He can do all these things. And he's commanded to do all these things. But he cannot convert. He cannot give the spirit. He cannot give new life. Only God can do it. That's his limitation. And we find here, therefore, that, Paul, uh, that Agrippa was almost persuaded. What a position to be in, almost persuaded, to be fully convinced of the word of God and the truth of it, yet almost persuaded. What is that state like? Well, it's a state of no neutrality. You know, there are some people who tell us that, well, I'm not a Christian. I'm somewhat on the fence. I'm neutral. I'm not an unbeliever, but I'm not a Christian. That's nonsense. That's nonsense. You're either with Christ or you're not. There's no neutrality. The Lord Jesus said on one occasion, He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth. Tonight, there's only two groups of people those with Christ and those against him. Where are you? This man here was almost persuaded. But almost persuaded is that he's not neutral. He's against Christ. Furthermore, almost persuaded. If that position is kept up and it is maintained, it's a position that the person shall be certainly lost certainly lost. What a golden opportunity here King Agrippa had. The Apostle Paul, the great apostle to the Gentiles, bringing the gospel clearly and plainly to him. He was almost persuaded, but he was, if he was to continue in that position, he would certainly be lost. Lost forever. Eternity, friends. This is what we're talking about. Eternity, no end, forever and forever lost, forever and forever separated from the presence of God, or the gracious presence of God, I should say, to be in hell forever and ever and ever, without any remittance, without any joy whatsoever, constantly in pain, That's what we're talking about. And someone can be almost persuaded. And if he continues, he will always be lost without any hope, no repentance, nothing there whatsoever. We don't like talking about these things. We don't like to meditate upon these things. But we must. We must. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, we persuade women, boys and girls, we tell them clearly, plainly, come, come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the limitation of the preacher, finally, the persuading of the preacher. You know, many people would maybe have stopped here. When Agrippa said, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian, many would have maybe shut the Bible. It's all over. I've nothing more to say. I've... Outline the gospel. I've spoken clearly and plainly. This man is almost persuaded. My work is over. Not so. See what Paul says. Verse 29. I would to God. That not only thou. But also that he hear me this day. Where both almost. And altogether such as I am except these bonds. You can see the pathos. You can see it oozing out of his pores. Here are men, if you like, in the very brink of eternity. This was the Spirit of God speaking to them. This was the Spirit of God striving to them. And they turned their backs, but the Apostle Paul continued to press the claims of Christ upon them. He would, in some sense, take no for an answer. He didn't finish, and he said, in effect, oh, I wish that everyone was just like me, except as bonds, that they would know the Lord Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and that they would take up the cross and follow him, and that they might fight the good fight of faith, and that they might be found in him. That's what he would plead upon them, Even the last resort, not just Agrippa, not just Festus, but all that were there. The Apostle Paul's heart was enlarged. He used this opportunity not just to speak to Agrippa, but all the entourage and how many were there, we do not know. But they were confronted with the claims of Christ just as much. And the Apostle Paul wanted them to be saved also. His persuasion did not finish. He used even that opportunity to tell them to come, to believe upon the Lord Jesus. Surely then, this highlights to us the characteristics, or one of the characteristics of the gospel preacher. He must be persuasive. And how can he possibly be persuasive? He is ultimately persuasive because he has tasted first and foremost, firsthand, that the Lord is good. Is that not what one of the Psalms tells us? Taste and see that the Lord is good. He has tasted of the mercy of God Himself. He knew His life, He knew something of it, He knew the life He was living. He knew the battle that he had with with sin. He knew conviction of sin. He knew God's dealings with him. And by the grace of God, his eyes were opened and he was brought to a saving knowledge of Christ. And he tasted that the Lord was good. He tasted that God is all out in Christ to save sinners. And he did not want them to perish. Now, what's true of the preacher, friends, is true of every single Christian. This is something that we must cultivate in our own hearts and lives. We cannot be called to the fact that multitudes are perishing. We are orthodox Christians, are we not? We believe in, a, in heaven. We don't know much about it. We know enough to encourage us. We know enough it's going to be a glorious place. We know that. We believe it. We believe there'll be no more tears, no curse, no dying, nothing. Sin will be eradicated. No longer there. We cannot imagine a place so great. We are surrounded with sin all around us. But one day this this will all change according to the word of God and we believe it. But we also believe there's a terrible place. Hell. Prepared for the devil and his angels. And to that place, those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ will find themselves for all eternity. Now we believe that. It's in the Word of God. It's in our confessions. It's part of our theology. But does it motivate us? Does it stir us up? You know, I believe in Julius Caesar, but it has no effect upon my life. You believe many things. And it will not have an effect upon your life. It will not change your behavior. But the reality of eternity, of a heaven to be won and a hell to shun, should in some sense transform our lives. It did the Apostle Paul. Now, we're not all the same as the Apostle Paul, and we're not all preachers of the gospel, we know. That these things should shape our lives? Have we concern at all for the lost? Do we care where our wives, our husbands, our sons, our daughters will spend eternity? The Apostle Paul did. Preachers should. The saving of souls must be one of the dominant themes of the minister's life. And that's to be reflected in Christians also. Recognizing our limitations. It calls upon us then to cry out to the living God. You know, sometimes we feel as if we've done our duty when we presented the gospel and we get a refusal. Where is the winsomeness? Where is that passion? Where is that deep concern? We don't have it by nature. Something we have to cultivate. But the Apostle Paul was one who would use every opportunity, even when it seemed it was all over. He would continue and speak of Christ and encourage all who hear to come. Well, in some real sense, friends, you've heard the gospel. You are more accountable now than you ever were. Eternity is nearer now than it ever was. You might wake up in another world tomorrow. None of us are assured of a day, of a night, of an hour. Today is the day of salvation. And with much infirmities, errors the gospel has been proclaimed to you not just today but many other times you are not without excuse you are to come you are invited it's a wonderful warm sincere invitation even to the chiefest of sinners to come and call upon Christ. Maybe you're almost persuaded. It's time to be fully persuaded. Paul was fully persuaded. When he met Christ, you need to meet him. He needs to open your heart. He needs to give you the gift of new life. Seek him. Call upon him. Give him no rest until you are fully persuaded and found in him. Amen. And may God bless his word to us. Let us pray together. O Lord, we are reminded in thy word that my spirit will not always strive with men. And O Lord, we pray that thou might prick our conscience and soften our hearts and by thy irresistible grace remove our rebellion that we have by nature and take us farther on from being almost persuaded so that we are fully persuaded. And what we cry for there, O God, is that thou might change our wills in a day of thy power. Bless thy word to us. Continue with us as we sing and conclude in praise. For Jesus' sake, amen.